All right, well, now's a good time to mention after our Christmas party this year, we're going to clean the carpets, uh, so just be ready for that. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Luke, for the testimony today. It's always fun when we hear a story first with you. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many stories I have like that that my parents know nothing about. So, uh, as Liam mentioned, we are officially in the season of Advent. If you were not aware, that means since the turkey day is over, we can now put up Christmas trees. It is okay to sing Christmas carols. I was fussing my kids last week saying, it's not time yet. Uh, but now it is. So we're excited about that. And I wanted to kick us off this morning um, with a scripture reading. As, as Liam mentioned, today uh, as we celebrate Advent, which I didn't know this. I grew up Methodist, and so Advent was something that happened every year. And there were candles that you lit, and you wore certain colors. And, and then I transferred to the Baptist church in college, and, and they don't do that typically. But I like talking about it. And Advent just simply is, is a word that's used to describe the coming of Jesus. And I love today that all the, the songs just about talked about not just Jesus' birth, but, but all the way through what he came to do. Um, I uh, mentioned last week I've been listening to the 10 Minute Bible Hour podcast. And uh, Matt Whitman, the guy that does that podcast, started in 2019 going through the book of Matthew. And he's still like he's going to finish uh, at the beginning of the year. And so I've been listening to the front end of it, listening to all of the information, because he's a history guy. And so all the history, world history that's going on around the time of Jesus's birth. And then I've also been listening to the end of it. And he's been talking about Jesus's death on the cross. So it's been kind of a cool bookend to, to kind of get my mind wrapped around the Christmas season. It's been a lot of fun. And today in the first Sunday of Advent, we always talk about hope. And I wanted to start off today um, as we're going to be talking about the message um, to look at that hope. I want us to read together today Isaiah chapter 62, and this is the prophet Isaiah uh, as he's prophesying about the hope that is to come. So let's just, we're going to read the whole chapter. Just hang in there with me, uh, and let's, let's hear from the word of the Lord this morning. It says, because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch the nations will see your righteousness world leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the lord's own mouth the lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of god never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land your new name will be the city of god's delight and the bride of god for the lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride your children will commit themselves to you, O Israel, just as a young man commits himself to a bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who can pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord has shown to Jerusalem by his own strength, I will never again hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and new wine. You raise the grain and you will eat it, praising the Lord within the courtyards of the temple. You yourselves will drink the wine you have pressed. Go out through the gates, prepare the highway for my people to return. Smooth out the road, pull out the boulders, raise a flag for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent his message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. They will be called the holy people, the people redeemed by the Lord. And Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. Man, what hope. 
As we've talked about last week, Russ talked about before when we were starting a couple of our studies, that there's this yearning within the people of God for the hope, for the one that can finally crush the serpent's head, right? And as we are celebrating Christmas, we are celebrating the coming of that hope. Over the last two weeks, we've been reviewing the distinctives of our TGP church. And today we're going to cover our third distinctive, which is the message of the gospel of Christ. And I thought it would be so appropriate this morning to talk about hope. And I love that God was speaking the same thing to Leah this morning, to talk about the hope that comes. Because when we talk about the message of Christ, often we focus in on his life and his death and his resurrection. But we got to talk about the birth too, right? It's miraculous. And God did that for a very specific reason. Um, The hope that God's people long for for so long is coming. And we get to share that message. On the heels of spending a a half of a year in James learning what it means to have true faith, God wants us to remember who he's called us to be, why we follow him, and why we do all the things that we do. This is a refresher for those of us, uh, not only as a church, but also personally as followers of Christ. So two weeks ago, we talked about our mission, and I'm going to recap all of this every week because it's cumulative, right? Y'all remember what that word means? When you start a class at the beginning of the year, the test at the end of the year covers all of the stuff Our distinctives are the same way. They all depend on one another. But our mission is to lead people to know God. And the goal that we have for all of us is that we're growing in our relationship with God by experience and that as you are growing, you're sharing what you're learning with the people in your lives. We looked at Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 in the CSB. It says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We typically read that in the Amplified Version, but the the word here that I wanted to draw our attention to this week that we didn't talk about yet, that we all know, is the word here that's translated to know is gnosko, which is the Greek word, and I've put that up on the screen, which means to know experientially. God's not satisfied with us just knowing about him. Israel knew about God, but they did not know God. God wants us to know him personally. Um, and, and it says in that explanation that normally is acquired through observation or through the senses. The idea is that God is calling us to himself to know him personally every day. What Paul is communicating is that we know God by experience, which is a progressive process. And that's why we typically read in the Amplified because it calls that out. That God's goal for us is not to just know him one moment in our life, but for all of our lives that, that we will become lifelong learners. Now, understanding of God's going to grow and change throughout our lives as we abide in Christ. God wants us to know him first by salvation and then by experience. And this means that God has put people in our lives that either need to hear the gospel for the first time or they need to understand what it means to know God by experience. And we're going to talk about why that's important later. That experience comes only through obedience. I don't remember if I read this last week or not, but this is out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And John says, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Church, when we obey God, we know him better. That's our goal. The first, that first we come to know God by experience through salvation, and then that we come to know God by experience through abiding, and then we share that with the people in our lives. One of the many issues that's facing the church and what's happened that's kind of perpetuated the Christian culture that we live in in the United States is is this um, 
fact that people don't really know God for themselves. They're just regurgitating what they heard somebody else say. When I was a freshman in college, one of my professors, Dr. Heath, said when we went into his class that he wanted us to wrestle, to struggle, and to grapple with our faith. Because he said, until you do those things, until you really wrestle with it, until you grapple with it, until you struggle to understand it, it's not yours. It's someone else. And he, he prefaced that by saying, um, because we're all freshmen, we're all 18 years old, and he said, what political party do you align with? Are you Republican, are you Democrat, are you Independent? Don't say it out loud, but he's asking the question. Then he said, why? And he said, for most of you, you are who you are because your parents are that. But you've never really thought about it for yourself. And that kind of hit me because I identified as a Republican because my mom and dad were Republicans. And that's where I felt like I should check the box, right? What God wants us to understand is that he wants us to know him personally. And until we, we wrestle with the truths of the faith, we don't own them. They're somebody else's. And, and what we see happen in culture is when we're just regurgitating somebody else's ideas, when we don't own it, when we don't understand it, when people ask questions or they examine our lives, our lives don't match up to what the things that we are that we're saying. And what does John call that? A liar. Because our words and our actions don't align with one another, and they often don't align because we don't own them. They're someone else's. So rather than promoting Jesus, we're promoting someone else's ideas. This is what happened with the religious leaders in Jesus' time. Look how Jesus is addressing them in Matthew chapter 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storm, storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. Storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The truth about what we believe about God, what we know, what we own is going to be revealed by our words and our actions. If you're in a vibrant, growing relationship with God, the world is going to see that activity in your life and they're going to be drawn to God. But if you're not living in a vibrant relationship with God, if you're just going through the motions, and I'm going to address this, how that looked in my own life later in the message, but when we're just going through the motions, the world sees that too. I know for a fact that most of us at some point in our life have out of a sense of guilt or, or shame or I mean, any number of things, have gone and I'm going to share the gospel with somebody because I, I'm supposed to do that. And you go in and you start having that conversation and it is awkward. It's so awkward and it's painful. And, and you finally get done, you get all the words out and both of you are sitting there like, okay, now what do we do? And then you never want to do that again, right? Well, as we're talking about the message that we're supposed to be sharing with the world, that's one of our distinctives, I want us to talk about what that's supposed to feel like, how that's supposed to flesh out in our lives. If, we're just re if, if you or if I am just repeating something that Glenn or, or myself has taught over the past decade, we're, we're missing the point. The goal is not for you to be able to take these distinctives and just blurt them out to somebody. The goal is that we have wrestled through these, that we have thought about them for ourselves and said, what does this mean for me personally? How does this affect my life? Because again, God's desire is for us to know him and to know his message by experience. 
We talked about last week that our motivation for sharing the mission and the message is the grace of God. That when we're sharing this message, it shouldn't be out of a sense of obligation, but out of a desire to share with people the amazing things that God's doing in our life. I was thinking about it this way yesterday, because I mentioned last week, but you, you can't give away something that you don't own, right? If you haven't struggled and wrestled and grappled with your faith, you certainly can't give that away to anybody else. You can give away what someone's given you, but that's called re-gifting and nobody likes that, right? We can think and laugh about that at Christmas time. I can tell you some funny stories about that. When I was in high school, I was on a competitive welding team. And yes, that's a thing. Um, and so we would practice every day. And don't laugh at me, Kyle. I see it coming. <laughs> every day in class, during ag class, we would go into the shop and we would practice welding. And then a couple of times a year, we would go off to other schools and we would compete in different welding scenarios. And what I mean by that is like, you got to do a regular weld. You got to do hot passes. You got to weld vertically going down and then vertically going up, and all these different things. No underwater stuff. That's, that's a whole different level. But, but what happened in our welding classes is we very quickly moved forward in the curriculum. And our, our ag teacher at the time was amazing, but welding wasn't her specialty. She loved the greenhouse, and that's where she really excelled. But we were really interested in welding. And so she knew that she could only take us so far, and then we were going to pass her level of experience. And so rather than holding us back and saying, well, this is as far as you can go, she on her own went and found another person who had more experience than she did, and she brought him in. And so once a week, this guy would come in, he was an ag teacher at another school, he would come in and spend that class period teaching us things that she didn't know. And I've always loved that because she didn't hold us back. She provided an opportunity for us to grow and to learn more. When we don't know something, we don't need to pretend that we do because we're holding the people around us back. When we don't know something, what should we do? We should go ask somebody who does, right? And so in terms of our faith, if you read something in Scripture and you're like, I don't quite understand what this means, or as we're going through our distinctive and, and you're like, I don't quite get that, ask somebody. Don't pretend and don't assume that everybody else understands it as well. You can seek out other believers. You can go directly to God. But too often when it comes to matters of our faith, people don't even try to learn the basics, right? And the result of that is the culture that we see around us. People have an idea about who God is, but the truth is they don't know God for themselves. And so what's perpetuated is these few ideas, and they get morphed and they get changed, and all of a sudden they don't reflect Scripture anymore, but they reflect a culture. And we're not trying to fit into a culture, we're trying to know God personally, as I stated last week, grace is the most misunderstood facet of the Christian faith, yet it's the most foundational part of our faith. It makes us who we are. We are made right with God, not by our works, but only by His grace. In fact, justification by faith is the opposite of justification by works. Yet most professing Christians in the United States today will tell you that right behavior is what makes God happy. And that is a result of people perpetuating ideas that are not their own. It's simply not true. And according to Paul, it's the opposite of the gospel. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, 23 through 26. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. 
God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can justify us. And it's done through faith, not by our works. That's our motivation. That's what drives us to share this message is the fact that we all, as I look around this room, I know that you guys understand grace. And I know that you understand that you don't have to earn it anymore. That was not always true for all of us. The cost of our salvation was Jesus' death on the cross. And as I mentioned last week, our works could never even begin to compare to that, right? Our very best is nowhere near the cross. And once we understand our mission and we're properly motivated by grace, then it's time to share. And our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message of grace, the things that we've talked about the last two weeks, all that we've experienced for ourselves is what God has called us to share. I know even thinking about sharing your faith starts to make you nervous because of those awkward conversations that I mentioned earlier, and I know we've all been there. But hopefully over the past few years, uh, you have seen for yourself that sharing the message of Christ begins with your story and God's work in your life. And, and look, those stories are not awkward to tell because we own those, right? Those are things that we've struggled and wrestled and grappled with. You, you share the experiences um, of how you came to know Christ through salvation. And as you walk in obedience, you understand the incredible gift that God's given you because you understand his grace. And so church, we just start right there. That's where the conversation begins. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the church in Corinth, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I want to say, Paul could have done that. Paul was exactly the kind of guy who had the knowledge and the experience to come in and wow people with theology. He said, I, I, that's not what's necessary. What's important only is the message of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he shared. Paul says it right there for all of us. It's not about some perfect message that you have re rehearsed. It's not about knowing the Romans road by heart. It's not being able to, you know, draw the, the, the thing where you got a cliff on this side and a cliff on this side and there's a chasm in the middle and it says hell down there and then you draw the cross. You know what I'm talking about? Is anybody, you know, okay, it's not about knowing. Those things are helpful tools. But that's not what it's about. It's about sharing what you know by experience. I think it'd be good for our, our life groups to get some practice getting comfortable with this. I put these questions in the notes so that you can refer to them later. But the questions are, what is your story or experience of understanding God's grace? We need to have internalized that and thought about what that means for us personally. And what was it like for you to know that you didn't have to earn God's acceptance anymore? I don't know about you, but that was a big deal for me. To know that I didn't have to work for it anymore. And how has that understanding and experience changed your life after the fact? How is your life different now because you understand grace? Those are the kind of conversations that God wants us to have with people to help them to understand that the goal is not right behavior. The goal is to know God. When we know God, the right behavior is going to follow, but the behavior is not the point. The point is for us to know Him. These are things that should be easy for all of us to talk about and to share because they're our stories. Now, I was thinking about this this morning. If you're one of those that's prone to cry when you talk about God, I'm not naming any names, but you know who you are, that's awesome. That's great. And it's great because it brings authenticity. People know that you own that. 
You don't cry when you're telling somebody else's story, right? Typically, no, because they don't mean as much to you. It's not that they're not good, they're just not yours. And letting your emotions come through as you're sharing brings authenticity and it brings power to the conversation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, because when we think about sharing the gospel, we, in our minds, we blow it up to be this massive thing. And I want you to see in this, in this little section, verses 1 through 10, the gospel is right here. Paul said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children under wrath as the others we were also but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do so. Verses 1 through 3. Paul is saying that you and I are born in sin and live accordingly. Everybody knows that, right? Doesn't matter if they're a believer in Jesus or not. Everybody knows that everybody makes mistakes. And so in those first three verses, Paul's just pointing out the obvious. He's like, look, we all need this. None of us can live without it. And in verses 4 through 7, he's saying that God, because he loves us, gives us eternal life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And then in verse Verses 8 through 10, he says, this is a gift that, that all it requires of us is just to ask for it. It's to say, God, I, I see what you did for me, and I want that for myself. And he points out that we can't even work for it, right? So as we're talking to people who are stuck in that works mentality, we can point to Scripture and say, look, Paul says it right here. We can't earn it. God gives it to us. It doesn't come by our own works. Paul also says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned the sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the, to the Spirit. Church, this is a message of freedom. Paul is saying, he's trying to communicate to these new churches that in the past we had to work to earn God's favor. But because of Jesus, those things are of the past. We're not tied down to that anymore. We are freed to experience Jesus. God sent his son to fulfill the law and to, to renew, to redeem, and to restore us to God. Jesus did all the work. And all we need to do is just believe it and receive it. As we come to understand that grace by experience, our hearts are naturally going to follow God. And we're going to want to know Him more. And you can use your own life as the example and show them the truth in Scripture and then share with them how that truth is played out in your own life. 
But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is an easy place to start that conversation. Tell your story of coming to know Christ as Savior. This should be a story that's memorable and easy to share for you. And don't feel pressure to make something happen. The goal of this distinctive is not that we would just convert a lot of people. That will happen, but that ain't on us. It's not your job to save your friends. It's your job to share your faith. And it's God that does the work of saving. Often your story will be one of several catalysts that God's going to use to reveal himself to someone. Remember that Paul said it's not about having a fancy story. It's about having an authentic one. What God did in your life moved you enough to choose to believe in him. And what God has continued to do in your life motivates you daily to continue to follow him. So just share that. Share your story. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to tell you my story. Everybody okay with that? When I was in junior high, the pastor in our church gave an invitation one Sunday morning. And I remember specifically that it was in the morning. I think I said in life group last week that it was in the evening service, but it's not. I thought back more through it. It was in a morning service because that afternoon I was outside on the tractor um, disking up an arena and I saw my parents. My mom was coming to the pasture and that's what clued me off that something was weird because my mom did not go to the pasture ever. But here come my mom and dad walking out to the pasture and they, they wanted to talk to me about it, which was a good thing. As the pastor was talking about salvation that morning, I could feel it in my heart that the things that he was saying about what God had done for me, I needed that and I wanted that in my life. And, and as we always were, Eddie, my cousin, and my best friend was sitting, I think he was on, yeah, he was on this side of me. And, and as we're, I'm engaged, which is not normal for me as a junior high boy. And I'm listening, and the Lord's working in my heart. And I bumped Eddie and was like, hey, we need to go up there and pray with him. And Eddie's like, mm-mm, if we get up, we're going to get in trouble. Which, to, in Eddie's defense, was not wrong. We were not allowed to get up in the middle of church, okay? It was a fair argument. But for me, in my mind, it was worth whatever the cost might be. I could, I, it was that strong in me, okay? So I got up and I went and I prayed the prayer with the pastor. And, and that's how I came to know Christ, right? And so that's the beginning of my story. I was in church one day. And look, that's not a glamorous story, right? Like I, I've known people in my life who like, they, the worst things of the worst and miraculously God did something in their life and they came to faith in him and you know there was fire and smoke and lights and that's not my story my story is I was a kid who grew up in church and finally when I was in junior high it all clicked the Holy Spirit does what the, does what the Holy Spirit does and all of a sudden I was like I, I need that in my life and so I went down and I prayed the prayer but for much of my life I thought my story wasn't good enough because I'd seen all those other stories with the smoke and the lights, and I thought, mine just doesn't compare. I'll let those people that have those cool stories share their story, because nobody cares about mine. I was just a kid who heard a message. The Holy Spirit drew me in, and I responded. But the story didn't end there. For while I was saved, there was a lot I did not know, and that's true of every believer, right? I was a junior high boy. For years, I was stuck in this cycle of thinking that I needed to rededicate my life to Christ. Every time I went to a youth event and the speaker spoke about salvation, I went down to the front. Some of y'all are giggling. You know what I'm talking about. 
went down to the front and, and prayed the prayer again and rededicated my life. And then I would go back to doing my whatever. And then the next time we had a youth event, I'd go back down. I'd rededicate my life. One time I even broke all my non-Christian CDs because the speaker said that was leading me to hell. You know, God, I miss Alan Jackson. That was such a good CD. It was my first one ever. A lot of you in this room don't even know what a CD is, and I'm sorry for that. Okay? But my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian was just to go to church on Wednesdays and on Sunday afternoons, and, and, or church on Sunday mornings, and then youth group on Wednesdays and Sunday afternoons. And then if you were really committed, you would stay for the evening service with all the old people and sing out of the brown hymnal, right? And we had a guy that directed the choir like this, which is not how you direct anything, but boy, he was getting after it. We, it was fun, okay? But my understanding was that if I just went to church and I went to youth group, that God was going to be pleased with me. And church, that's just evidence of how shallow my faith was because I didn't know better. Then my junior year of high school, we got a new youth pastor. And he began to teach. I was on our, our youth leadership team. And he began to teach us about grace. And everything changed for me. It wasn't immediate. But after I heard about grace... Although I didn't really understand what it meant for me in my life, I could feel the Spirit in it. And so I began to ask more questions. I began to dig deeper. And God opened up my heart and my mind to understand what He had done for me. And I realized that for all those years prior, I had missed out on the best part of having a relationship with God, and that was actually being in a relationship with God. I had my fire insurance. I wasn't going to hell. I knew that. But my whole life was focused on me. I was stuck in that rededication cycle for so many years because I thought that God's view of me and his nearness, nearness was directly related to my behavior. And as I said, I was a troublemaker. For example, anybody know what sardines is? Raise your hand. It's like hide and go seek in reverse. Okay. We were, one evening, we were supposed to be playing sardines and another good friend of mine who, who was old enough to drive, for some reason, in his car, had a mannequin head, an umbrella, some rope, and a poncho. Okay, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. So we took those things and we put the mannequin head on top of the umbrella, opened it up, put the poncho on it and hung it in a hallway to scare people. That's what we did for fun, right? And we scared a lot of people, but that wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. That was who I was. But then I began to learn about grace and God began to work in my heart. And my life completely changed after I discovered the beauty of what God had done for me and the beauty of what it meant to be in relationship with him. The other thing that my youth pastor taught me was how to commune with God. Nobody had ever talked about that before. We had sang in church and we had prayed before, but I had no idea that that was actually a way to communicate with the Holy Spirit. And once I learned that, it's like, oh my gosh, he's been here the whole time and I didn't know? This is incredible. Over the last 25 years, I have learned that not only does God love me, but he loves me enough that he wants me to be involved. Or he wants to be involved in every aspect of my life, from the big stuff like what job do I take, where do I live, are we going to have kids, how many kids are we going to have, to the little things like where am I going to eat lunch today. He wants to be involved in every bit of that. I've also learned that I am far from perfect, but God loves me anyway. Church, all of us have a story. And yours is going to be different from mine. It may be similar in some ways. But this is the message that we share, that we were all born sinners, but God, in his mercy, 
came for us. He sent Jesus to deliver, for, deliver us. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He showed the world the true character of who God is. He revealed it through his actions and through his word. And then he was crucified. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he has freed us from the death that the sin and the law brought to the world. He was the one that the prophets spoke about. He is the hope. And for me in my life for a lot of years until I was in junior high, I didn't know that hope. And then I got a glimpse of it when I was in junior high, but it still didn't quite click. And then when I was a junior in high school, I learned about grace and everything in my life changed. And then many, many years later, I learned how to actually hear God's voice and learn how to do what he says and experience what happens when I abide in him. And my life was changed again. Church, we all have a similar story of God working in our lives to make us better people, to make us happier, to make us freer, to have more joy in our life that comes through obeying him. That's our message. It's our stories. It's the things that God's doing in our life in the past and the things that he's doing right now. Sometimes we share our story of salvation. Sometimes it's going to be a story of what God did this week. But the part that's determined by the Holy Spirit is that when he asks you to share, you're going to know. Do I share my salvation story? Or do I share what God's been doing this week or two weeks ago or three years ago? The Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you in the moment. You're going to know what to share. And the enemy's going to try to convince you that your story's not good enough, but don't listen to him because it is. It's good enough because it's your story. It's your story of what God did in your life. Your story, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear me say this. I want you to hear God say this. Your story is life-altering because it changed your life. And it will change someone else's life if you will just share it. No matter how simple it may seem, when God tells you to share it, he intends to use it to change someone else's life. And the power is not in your words, but in the movement of the Holy Spirit. As you obey, God is going to do what only he can do. The Holy Spirit's going to move. And I'm not going to predict what that's going to look like, but I can tell you, if God tells you to share your story, it will not be wasted. God is working. As you obey and share, God will do what only he can do. And that exclusive activity is going to change the heart of somebody else. And it's going to change yours. Church, this is our message. Christ came and he died for us. He lives in us. And he is teaching all of us every day more about who he is. And our mission, right, is to share that with other people. To help them to understand just how much God loves them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the work that you've done in my life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, this next couple of weeks as we celebrate Christmas, I ask that you would give us all opportunities to share our faith with other people. Whether that's our salvation story or the story of the things that you've been doing over the last couple of weeks. God, give us opportunities to share and give us the confidence that you were setting those things up. That it's not us, it's not our power, it's not our desire to just do something for you. But God, that it's an act of obedience as you've called us to share. Father, help us to feel your presence and prepare the hearts of the people that you have in our lives to hear the gospel story, to hear the message that you've called us to proclaim. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.